Hi, I'm Dr. Morbaja, astrodynamicist, space environmentalist, and associate professor of aerospace engineering and engineering mechanics at the University of Texas at Austin. Hi, I'm Ralph Dinsley, known as Dins. I'm the uh, executive director and founder of Northern Space Security. I'm Michael Maloney, founder of Satellite Design for Recovery. And I listen to the Cold Star Project. And I listen to the Cold Star Project. And I listen to the Cold Star Project. The show is for entertainment purposes only and is not intended to be what is termed professional advice. The Cold Star Project is proudly presented by the Operational Excellence Society. Cold Star Tech is a supporter of the OPEX Society, and Jason Gannigan is a member of its board of advisors. Talk with us at Cold Star Tech to find out more about the OPEX Society and what we can achieve together in your organization. Or just visit opexsociety.org. Thanks for joining us for today's show. Yeah, so my, so my role is um, I act as a technical go between Spark and all the clients and partners who are engaging no. with the project, okay. and also will aid in the administration of government contracts and support STEM engagement initiatives here in Australia. Welcome back to the Cold Star Project. I'm your host, Jason Kanigan, the founder of this thing, Cold Star Technologies. Uh, for now, a data science and process improvement firm. If you're having trouble with documentation, being a learning organization, uh, wanting insights, and to know exactly what your people are really doing rather than the mental movie that's running in your head, you should come talk to us. I'm here with Dr. Ben Kaba. He is in Australia, but he didn't start there. And so it's going to be really cool to share his story uh, he's working with something called Spark, and we're going to explore that. And so it's late my time, early his. I appreciate you being here, Ben. So thank you very much. You Thanks bet. Thanks for having me. You bet. So you you have a PhD in aerospace astronautical uh, engineering? Exactly. Yeah. So uh, as you said, I, I didn't start in Australia. I, I was born in, in uh, Berlin, okay. Germany, um, and. In Germany, it's very easy to go to, uh, to study, um, and then I went into engineering, also very typical, I guess, for a German, um, and, and did engineering science, uh, specializing on fluid mechanics and aerodynamics and also acoustics. Mm -hmm. I went up to my master's degree um, and started working first actually in medical uh, engineering and uh, as maintenance engineer for Volkswagen. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and then uh, the question how I got to Australia, uh, to answer that in short, is actually very... Uh, uh, yeah, very easy to answer. My, so I met my wife, um, and third date, she told me she wants to go to Australia. <laughs> if I'm not one to go with her, then we can stop right now. And I was like, okay, let's do it. Let's, <laughs> That's let's leverage. Actually, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, yeah, from, from this point on onwards, my wife and I, we tried uh, to um, find a way into Australia. And then came along an offer from the Australian Defense Force Academy um, and the and UNSW Canberra to do my PhD in aerospace engineering uh, with Dr. Uh, Professor Harold Kleiner mm. and Professor Shauna Byrne. Um, and well, uh, I started in Canberra. We lived there for three years. Um, but again, my wife wanted to go to Perth. That was very specific, actually. That was a very specific wish. So therefore, we moved to Perth three, uh, two years ago. And um, I worked here as well a bit in, in, uh, uh, for mining in, for FMG uh, for a while, also as a research associate but always wanted to work for space. And the, the nice thing is, two years ago, the Australian Space Agency was formed, unfortunately in South Australia, not in Western Australia, so that's why I was also a bit hesitant. But then um, this great opportunity uh, from Fugro called SPARC, the Space um, Automation and Artificial Intelligence Robotic uh, Control Complex, mm -hmm. came along. 
they were looking for uh, somebody with a PhD in aerospace slash space um, as a background. And well, the borders were closed, COVID hit, nobody else, I had no competition. And, and that's how I got the role more or less. Ah. <laughs> I mean, it's obviously a bit more yeah. than that, but, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's in a nutshell, I guess. Mm. Okay. Well, that's, that's really cool. Um, <laughs> what, yeah, I, I just want to make something clear before we, we before we continue to our audience. Uh, Dr. Kaba is speaking for himself in this interview. He's not speaking as an employee of Spark. He's not speaking for the state of Western Australia or the country uh, or, or uh, Fugro or any other uh, organization. So these are just his opinions. Um, I am curious, just for my own edification, the cultural differences that you've noticed, maybe one or two between uh, where you grew up and where you are now. So Germany and Australia. Just, just a few, just a few. Uh, uh, I, can, I guess there's uh, heaps. Um, but the, uh, to, to point out the positive uh, things, in, in Germany, we are very, uh, like we, we live to work more or less. The work defines us, whereas here in Australia, it's the lifestyle and yeah you do work you do work you like obviously in the best case scenario and and people definitely understand that you have to work mm. but uh, it's more about like fitting your lifestyle and then finding the right place uh, so to say so just mm. and and also on top of that obviously um from my perspective saying that i'm fortunate to come from a from a country where i can choose these things right i know there's other people who, who are not that fortunate I was able to choose where I want to live and where I want to move. Mm -hmm. um, and I know it's not easy for everyone. But yeah, I was fortunate to, to and I, I definitely um, know the worth of, of being able to choose where I want to be in the world. And Australia is a really nice place. The weather is, is just perfect. Not, not so much in Canberra, but, but Western Australia has a really good, uh, like the whole year is just, just perfect. Huh. Okay. Well, as someone, I have not moved nearly as far as you have, but I did move 3,000 miles and from one country to another. They're not too, too different, but there are differences uh, between Canada and the U.S. So, um, well, at least you had English all some, the way. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, although we, we actually, they do do the y'all thing here, and I have, yeah. um, after 11, 12 years here, I also say y'all. <laughs> so <laughs> take that in. So, so let's let's uh, I guess lay the scene here. What is going on? Why are these different bodies and states working together to create this complex? Well, from what I can tell is, um, so the Australian Space Agency, which was, as I said earlier, formed two years ago, they now have to build an ecosystem and a landscape in Australia to enable Australia to, to play also a part in the, in the big uh, scheme of things in terms of space race and, and uh, water rush back to the moon and so on. But I mean, <clears throat> maybe I start a bit earlier here, for, like on behalf of Australia in this case, obviously Australia has a long history in, in space. Um, just uh, the, to go back to the moon landing from from, uh, from the States, uh, 1967, um, all the, the whole communication went to Canberra, actually, to the, to the, um, to the dish. Um, I mean, the dish was located a bit uh, differently, but close to Canberra. And therefore, we had already that connection. In fact, the Deep Space Network has its place, one of the places um, is in Canberra. So we, we have a very, very uh, tight connection to NASA already. And also here in Western Australia, we have the new NASA dish, which is the Deep Space Network um, part for the ESA. Um, so therefore, we, we do already have a, a very strong bond 
to to the big players, so to say. Um, then and then um, also uh, Canberra and here in, in Perth as well. We have two very strong universities with space background. So just to say that, and that is obviously that has happened long before the space agency was formed, and therefore we had we had already space history in, in mm -hmm. Australia. But well, to come back to the to the initial question or to the initial point. Um, Australia has uh, formed the space uh, their, their own space agency, and now they have to come up to speed. And they don't have all like that amount of, of government buildings like NASA, for example. And they therefore they, in my opinion, they find ways now to leverage the space industry and, and startups in Australia for them to build these facilities, for them to find a commercial way to 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 run those facilities. And then in in, in the in the bigger scheme of things get a huge ecosystem of, of, uh, of space-related uh, facilities. Mm. So in, and one of those facilities uh, will be Spark uh, here in Perth. Okay. So the idea is to create uh, a intellectual capability, I guess, uh, to be able to work on these things. Um, you know, and Australia has exactly. been very interested in, in bringing expertise and developing expertise in space. Exactly. And also, I mean, um, with that, uh, and also with that, uh, you need um, flight heritage. So let's say you have a launch facility, but you have never used it, and you, you want to do something for NASA, they won't yeah. let you do it, right? So therefore, now they have, they have to start um, um, speeding up, and they have to start interacting, and commercial partners are more likely, especially when, when we work together here in Australia, to use those facilities, like such as a launch facility, such as a mission control center, and so on. So therefore, uh, that's the idea, sort of, sort of say, to, to get um, more and more experience with these things, and then therefore get more credibility once uh, we are stepping up the game. And also, um, I mean, that that was in the news a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the ASA has also signed already the Artemis, um, um, I don't know, Artem Artemis Accords. Um, therefore, there's a very, very strong uh, likelihood that that Australia will play a role in in the Artemis mission. Okay. That makes sense. So, what is the role of Spark? What what are the the bodies trying to achieve? Yeah. So, so let's maybe um, st maybe starting a bit per a bit earlier mm -hmm. than that. Yep. Um, how came Fugro about to mm. to build the center? So, how how was the uh, Australian Space Agency um, sort of? Why did they choose uh, Fugro to to run this facility? Mm. So, Fugro in in itself is is a global company with their, uh, their headquarters in the Netherlands. Um, and they are a geospatial uh, company doing maintenance and, and um, data acquisition for structures, mainly. Um, here in at the Southern Hemisphere, especially here in Australia, they're more, more focused on oil and gas, so uh, pipeline, pipeline inspections, oil rig inspections, um, all submarine. Um, they have uh, big vessels with um, ROVs um, on board. And they use that to inspect those those assets, um, submarine. So, uh, 2015, uh, with a with a um, dip of the uh, oil price, uh, the market co uh, collapsed a bit. Hmm. And therefore, and because here in Australia, oil and gas was the, the main client, so to say, they had to find a way to mitigate the problem to be relying on only one uh, one industry field. And therefore, they were looking uh, for other opportunities and. Uh, for other ways to do things, and amongst going um, and, and inspect also renewable energy assets and so on, here in Australia, especially in Perth, uh, my boss was looking at, or um, actually was Fugro Next, 
uh, the, from the innovation team, they looked for ways to remotely run those operations. So that means putting people from the ship, from the vessel, back to, uh, back to a central location, in this case here in Perth, to do the work they are doing on the ship, which then in the long run, like just uh, to speak for Fugo's benefit here, reduce the size of the ships, for example. It costs much less um, uh, than, you, let's say you have a 24-7 operation, five people for, for such an operation, you, you save like 50, up to 15 people just for the operation, plus all the, the um, people you need, like cooks and, 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 and attendants and so on, on the ship, which are now not on the ship anymore, out of harm's way. Um, also, because now you, do, you can make a smaller ship, you, have, uh, you, you don't need that much of fuel anymore, so you, you get environmentally friendly. So there's a lot, lots of benefits. And also, obviously, it's more cost-effective. Mm. Um, and then, um, so this, this was uh, uh, quite, a, um, uh, uh, quite a good effort and, and work. And then now, um, I guess I don't have to point, uh, point out that uh, we had a little pandemic uh, going <laughs> around, uh, which, again, showed how important it is to remotely work. And again, like if you can do these things remotely, that was a big uh, advantage. So now, um, because of that, the Australian Space Agency was interested in that concept of remotely work, the, the mission operation, how to do these uh, kind of things. And also with Fugur as, as such a big company, having somebody who can also like stem this thing from, from ground up, they um, granted us a um, like uh, uh, like uh, uh, sorry, they granted us the, the money for building the center. So um, and now maybe I should have said what Spark means actually. So the the center is about remotely operating um, robotic assets in space mm -hmm. to enable, for example, maintenance on satellites or remotely control lunar surface uh, vehicles. Um, or to mitigate the, the problem of, uh, of uh, on space debris in orbit so that it doesn't collide with anything, something like that. And it's very closely tied or very closely um, compared with uh, the RSTS mission from DARPA, which was uh, run um, a couple of years back. Okay. Yeah. And so it's, it's a no brainer. It's, it's an obvious overlap between what, uh, but what Fugro was already doing with the exactly. ocean going stuff uh, and, and this um, space idea of automation it's, and that, yeah. It's different challenges though. I mean, if you, if you sit in this control yeah. rooms and you see yeah. a, a marine operation with a submarine robot doing something, it mm -hmm. looks very spacey, mm -hmm. but then the, the dip, there's a huge difference. So for example, the medium obviously is yeah. completely different. Um, and you have, in water you have actually, you have currents, you have temperature mm -hmm. changes and you have fish uh, fish uh, yeah. swimming around things and you have algae and stuff like that which is definitely changing the whole like dynamic of the environment whereas in space there's nothing you, right. you, you go to something and then there's kilometers and kilometers nothing around you on the other hand in space you have the problem of radiation you have the problem of, of temperature and so on so these are more let's say technical engineering parts and the other thing is the further away you go from earth the more latency you get, obviously, in your in your control as well. So that's that's sort of a different side of the of the problem. Okay. So how is Spark going to work? Uh, I guess let's begin with with we both know Dr. Gordon Ressler. He yes, yes. he's so involved in you know his company's called Robots in Space. Uh, but he's uh, natural to, again to be talking to about this. Um, so he he's been very interested 
in this. Um, what is the vision for the complex as it's up and running and it kind of has a, a flow through of people showing up at its doors, metaphorically, I guess, uh, and, and going through yeah, well, whatever so, it is. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, for, for that, obviously we have, so the grant itself is now first to establish the, the complex. Mm -hmm. That means physically, um, uh, and the, so for the next two years, we will focus on actually building a, um, a uh, we will um, select a building where we will, from where we will operate, and this building mm -hmm. will have a, an amount of modular uh, control desks or mission control, like a modular um, robotic mission control center um, type of thing. And so this will be one part of that, and this will be located in, in the CBD in Perth, um, which will then attract people like obviously, so Australia is very, very um, um, low dense. So that means mm -hmm. we have uh, long distances between uh, places and having something in CBD is actually, would be a very big advantage because we have, uh, we have the big uh, companies in CBD as well, like Woodside and FMG and, and BHP, for example, for the, from the mining side who do automation and, and robotics as well. And um, so it's people like that. And we, for, as far as I know, we've also, uh, lots of NASA guys coming through Perth, going to Pilbara. Hey, this is Jason Canigan, the host of the show and the founder of Cold Star Technologies. I want to share with you a new idea. This is very exciting. It's a partnership between myself and another fellow who's a former Marine, a space junkie, a guy who has a lot of experience with uh, like Ogilvy and marketing, and he's also a junior venture capitalist. And some of you may know that I've been a copywriter myself for 25 years and made a lot of money for myself and clients. And so we are partnering up along with a legal team and junior associates. It's very exciting to be able to do something. This is, here's the exciting part for you, okay? If you're a founder and you're interested in like, hey, where's the venture capital? We, we see this a lot, right? You need a bunch of stuff to be able to qualify for venture capital, including like customers. <laughs> and in order to get there, you need stuff like branding and teams and like a business model and all this stuff. And I find a lot of founders, and you ask yourself this question and tell me the truth, right? Tell yourself the truth. You don't even have to tell anybody else. Do you understand all those things that we just talked about? Or do you just want to build cool stuff? And that is the position where we find a lot of people are in. But look, this project Space Boots that we're looking at here, here's our mission, okay? We're, we're what's called a venture builder. We're seeking to provide venture capital, marketing strategy, and networking for brands, companies, their teams, individuals. Here's the niche, okay? If you're seeking to add value to the seven space power disciplines as defined by the Chief of Space Operations for the United States Space Force, we want to talk to you. And if you don't know what that is, go to Space Capstone Publications and get the PDF for free. You could buy the hardcover book if you love flipping through catalogs like I do. But the PDF will do, okay? So here's who we're looking for. Pre-seed and seed stage startup companies looking to enter these seven disciplines, one of them. And we are going to provide the help at this pivotal stage. Most importantly, the storytelling, pitching the big idea, that's what you need help with here, is that positioning, the branding, the storytelling, and that will get you the access. That will get you the stuff you need to get access to that venture capital. We are going to help you craft a winning narrative on this increasingly complex road to funding. We're very excited about this, being able to offer this, 
It's something that I'd sort of daydreamed about over the last six months or so, and suddenly found a partner to be able to fulfill the idea with. If you are in that realm, if you understand what I'm saying and the potential that uh, this is bringing to the table, come talk to us. You can just email me or connect with me on LinkedIn and message me there. Because if you're in one of those disciplines, you should be talking to us about the Space Boots Project, the world's first space tech venture builder for the Allied Space Forces. Super excited. Let's get back to the interview. Have multiple mission control center desks, and these desks uh, we try to do them, or we try to design them as modular as possible, um, so that that anyone sort of can go and integrate their architecture and and also how how they want to run their mission. And we will bring them uh, our experience in mission control and mission operation, and also help them integrating their hardware into our Spark network. Um, there will also be two other. Uh, facilities integrated in the Spark um, project already in the, in, the, in the initial two years. That will be a development center. That means uh, we will a test and development center. People who build robots and don't have the money, for example, to have these expensive facilities, they can come to us and they can test on a, on a for example, moon yard. They can test their rovers, for example. They can um, they have little uh, workshops where they can maybe repair when they do their testing, so they don't have to go back to the original place, but they can do this all in a central location, more or less. I mean, that, that location might not be in CBD, though, uh, but in a, at a different location. And the, the last part will be a training uh, facility. So all these, um, all the experience we have and we, all the experience we will also gather along the way, doing other missions with other partners and other clients, will obviously give us a lot of experience. We will have access to this data stored for um, as a service for our clients as well, but then and the, then can help them as well if they need operators to train those operators in real in real scenarios, for example. So we will have a sort of copied mission control center where we can then um, put uh, trainees through and and train them up to the, to the point that they can run real missions. Ah, so this okay. is the initial time, yeah. And then after those two two years. We are already connected with uh, quite a few project partners. Um, mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I can't tell you uh, uh, too much details. Uh, from one yeah. partner, I can tell you that uh, we are partnering with Curtin University. They have the biggest um, uh, planetary science community uh, south of the hemisphere. And they are building in the moment. Uh, so they, they have a project called BINA. And that project means they build, design and build Western Australian uh, CubeSats. They will launch them in the next couple of years um, with, together with JAXA, with, with uh, mm -hmm. BASE-BD. And um, we are working very closely together so that they can then also use our facility to get access to their, to their CubeSat when it, when it comes uh, over Western Australia, so that they can actually tra uh, track it and communicate with it. Okay. Ben, who is paying for this then? Uh, so you've got this facility, the startup people show up, they want to do their research in that. Where does yeah. the funding for that come from? So the, the funding comes um, from, uh, from the Australian Space Agency as one partner, mm. um, yeah. because they were interested in the, in the, in the space uh, portion of it. But also the, the state government of Western Australia has um, put money into this, because mm. they see that this asset can be used also for terrestrial applications. Um, okay. So obviously we can already, we can copy what we already do with a, yeah. with a um, better, better facility, obviously. We, um, 
we want to go then later, obviously, with, to, to work with other space agencies or defense and so, and so on. So, uh, and we try to make this uh, possible. And also Fugro itself. So Fugro has um, uh, an own interest, obviously, to run this mm -hmm. facility and to have this facility, not only because we can pos uh, potentially do the operations we already do and have just more more uh, rooms available, so we can have, we we could do more uh, um, missions in parallel, but also to gain access. As I said, um, Fugro looks to uh, into ways to not only be reliant on oil and gas anymore, but also to do stuff in space, for example. So that mm -hmm. that that is, uh, I believe, in the next ten years, definitely something worth uh, considering. Okay. Um... It's, so the first thing my mind jumps to is is the availability of continued funding, um, politics being what it is, you know, some some party gets in power, they think this is a priority, the next one doesn't. Uh, is, is the funding guaranteed for some time? Is that is that something that you know? As far as I can tell you, we are we have the, the funding for the next two years, and that's, okay. uh, that's yeah. as far as I can tell, guaranteed tied to milestones, obviously. So we have to huh. provide evidence that we are tracking uh, nicely along the way. Yeah. But uh, after that, we are already working on, and that's what I meant. I, I'm already in, in talk with other project partners and potential mm. uh, customers. Um, okay. But the idea is actually, in the best case scenario, once the facility runs, to have clients who then pay for the service yeah. to use our facilities as a middleware. And mm. that is, and that's in fact, that's one of the ideas, in my opinion, the SA follows uh, that these facilities, in t at times when there's mission going on, and in t at times when there's no funding coming from the federal government, that these facilities can maintain themselves. Okay. So a big portion will come from actually running, in this case, initially terrestrial uh, missions, and then use that money also to make maintain and, and adapt and, and improve the, the whole facility. Okay. Yeah, I think that's wise. Uh, and, and again, this is the beginning of the process. Two years from now, you're going to have user adoption and, and exactly. a flow through and something yeah, yeah. to point at and say, hey, yeah, we did that. We developed these capabilities. People are using it. Exactly. I mean, and, and one, one big goal for us um, is to, be, to play a part in the Trailblazer mission. That's the flagship of the Space Agency. Um, and we, tr we do our best to be consistent for that, obviously. And that would mean that we potentially could uh, directly uh, contribute to the Artemis mission. So the Trailblazer mission is uh, Australia's contribution to Artemis directly. So they, they want to um, help, obviously, to build the, the base on the moon and, and uh, control assets on the, on the lunar surface. So, and I, I mean, I think it's, it's easy to see that a, a complex which can control to space robots, whatever that means, like either floating in space or on a lunar surface, uh, would or should play a part in this, uh, in this game, I guess. Yeah, and I, I start thinking about time delays in communication, and uh, that, that's something I've thought about for years. Like, how do, you, how do you deal with that? The things need a little bit of AI to be able to figure out, okay, what should I do? Because I don't have two seconds or whatever to bounce a signal back and exactly. get a decision and stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, you have the advantage that there's not much going on on the mm -hmm. moon or in space. So the, the, the time delay, although be a hassle for a lot of things, uh, can be mitigated with really good um, mission st uh, strategies, for example. Mm -hmm. I mean, that NASA is doing that with, with a rover on, on, on Mars already. They, they move 
a, a centimeter yeah. and then they wait and then look, oh, everything's fine okay. and they move again. But yeah, I mean, we, we do have internal plans to mitigate those things in terms of AI, for example, machine learning and other strategies. But these are, these are still very, very early stages and, and uh, can't really disclose what we do. Right. But yeah, we, will, we definitely think of these things. Yeah. Um, and as you already mentioned, there's only so much you can do technically. You can reduce the latency technically to, to a minimum right. from all the network hopping and so on, but you can't be faster than the speed of light. So, right. uh, and and uh, not, not thinking of any quantum entanglement and so on, so I, that's not to be... Right. Uh, out of the box here. Right, right. Well, okay. Well, let's talk about your role, Ben, as technical interface manager. So what does that mean? What What uh, is under your, your purview? Yeah, so my, so my role is um, I act as a technical go between Spark and all the clients and partners who are engaging oh, with the project okay. and also will aid in the administration of government contracts and support STEM engagement in, initiatives here in Australia. So, um, and also hopefully get engaged more and more with people like you to gain more interest from the mm -hmm. public. Um, and then also just, I personally want, want to contage people with my enthusiasm about, uh, about space because I, I think it's, it's the way to go. So I think, I think space is, the, is uh, a, a new future, actually. I think, don't think it's just in 100 years. I think it's happening now, and people who do things now will see the benefits in a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's that's a really cool role. Uh, so, uh, how? It, speaking generally, I guess I yeah, you can't go into specifics. I don't think. Yeah. But speaking generally, how will you go about, or, or how will the organization go about picking uh, which projects to support or fund? Well, I I, I don't think that we will directly fund initially. Mm -hmm. I think it will be more or uh, if than a mutual fund. Or we will, um, or another strategy might be if there's funding available, we can mutually uh, um, apply for those funding and make mm -hmm. a stronger, okay. a stronger case then. But um, yeah, I mean, that, that's part of my role as well. Like if, if a startup comes along and they uh, want to do something, I can advise them with the experience I, or, I already got in the with the past uh, funding rounds, for example, and help them getting a stronger case, for example, or or guarantee that that we will help, uh, like we might be clients for their service if they do something interesting, or vice yeah. versa. Okay. But in the um, in the end, I think the benefit we bring, and that is more or less the the, the what what people can consider in the future than using us as a middleware, is people don't have to build their own control center. Right. So they, they can use, they can sort of come here and only use on demand and they can then, uh, they don't have to build the whole hardware. And mm -hmm. also they don't have to understand the whole CCSDS uh, um, <laughs> landscape. They don't yeah. have to know who they have to contact at NASA, at ESA and so on. So obviously mm -hmm. I, I'm building these relationships in the moment so uh, that I can help then our future clients working with us and we more or less make the other parts happen, let them know mm -hmm. how to go through this, give them advice how long it may might take um, to get their asset into space or, or, or integrated in some systems and so on. Okay, so that, that really clarifies it for me. So, so you've been funded to operate this facility, build these yes. buildings and exist there um, and with this, this control center. Um, so, and then founders can show up, say, look, I've got this idea. And then you can say, great, let me work with you to help 
get the funding to to operate that. Um, and then if they do want to use the control center, there's going to have to be some sort of time management <laughs> as yeah, to yeah. who gets access when um, and some priority system of that. So that, that really makes it clear. Uh, so don't expect folks just to show up and uh, have money thrown at you <laughs> just because you're Yeah, no, obviously not. And I mean, there will, be, um, there will be projects. I mean, space is still very new. There's still a lot of uh, science and research going on. Um, and a lot of development as well. And I guess you know this better than, than anyone else anyway. Um, but also, and that's the part more or less where we have the terrestrial missions, we, we also will have, or we want to have access to um, clients who already are established yeah. and who need a facility like us to do their mission, or we can provide the service to do their to do a, a, a an, asset, an inspection somewhere subsea, for example. Right. So the, this is sort of the, the whole business idea uh, behind this is to have something which can maintain itself, and then on top mm -hmm. of that, the icing of the cake is then the space portion of it. Non, I mean, ideally, the space portion will uh, will be bigger at some point than everything else. Um, I mean, the, the name Spark gives away right. that space is definitely the the, the, the actual focus we want to want to achieve. But we are we are realistic, and, and if this is not if this is not possible, obviously we try to find ways to make it possible. Okay, so Dr. Vet, uh, so that that was going to be my next question was who should be approaching you? So that's one category uh, of of uh, potential customer, and that somebody who has got a terrestrial uh, operation going on and they want to use your facilities. Uh, who else should be approaching you, and what what should they have in hand uh, when they come to see you? Well. Um, to make it very simple, uh, a company who already own robotic assets and uh, want to control them remotely to, um, to for example, uh, so for example, the, the, what I said, Fugro itself uh, might be a client, in, so more or less, um, because they, they own their own robots, uh, they're called ROVs, and they run them remotely, or they can run them remotely, and, and they could use the facility then to service another client, so they come, uh, they can use the facility. They they can do what they already do with their setup, and what they do need to to be integrated is they need a robot. Obviously, that robot needs to be integrated in our uh, Spark network. That means we it has to, to be able to get access to our um, um, satellite network somehow, mm. or to this to the network we have access to the, to a VSAT connection, either by using as well our assets or, um, or having a, an established connection themselves. And then they have to be able to work with us to integrate their controls, the uh, control architecture, also working uh, through our Spark network. So um, I think initially this might also be a bit of a, um, a, a lot of customization from outside. So because there, there's not really a big standard out there that everyone uses, especially in robotics, there's um, it, seems that um, ROS and ROS2 are getting more and more uh, interesting for people, but still there's also a lot of uh, homebrew uh, operational systems for, for robots. So therefore there's, there will be a lot of customization. But in general, maybe to, in a nutshell, they need a robot, they need, uh, they need a controller for that robot, and the robot needs to be able to integrate it in a wireless network. I think these are the three minimum hmm. requirements. And also, they need a client to, to be able to pay for it. <laughs> so I, I think that's also important. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that, again, clarifies things very well. Well, um, 
how can people connect with you? What, what's the best route and, and, and find out more about Spark? Well, I mean, um, I'm uh, very open to, in, in LinkedIn to connect to people. I guess just uh, Google my name and then uh, reach out to me. That's, that's always a good idea. And I, um, I think you can also put my email address in the, sure. uh, in the um, your description from, the, from that interview. And then people can reach out to me if they're interested to, to learn more. Fantastic. Talk about it. Yeah, my guest has been Dr. Ben Kaba. Uh, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate yeah. it. Thank you for having me. Hey, this is Jason Canigan, the host of the program. Thanks a lot for listening to The Cold Star Project. If you want me to send you new episodes of The Cold Star Project so that you don't have to go hunting around for them or watching YouTube or anything like that, go to this page, coldstartech.com slash MSB. That's short for Make Space Boring, which is what we're all about. And uh, drop in your email address there, and I will be able to do that for you. Make Space Boring is another little show that I run. It's a shorter format, quick interviews, and uh, news of the day, and sometimes an update of who I'm meeting and what I'm learning in the space field. It's on the same Cold Star Tech channel. Speaking of which, on the YouTube channel, I can do something I cannot do on the audio-only version, which is add playlists. And so there may be topic area playlists on the YouTube channel that you would be interested in digging into and going down the rabbit hole and learning uh, more about. For example, space law and policy, space situational awareness, the lunar mining and construction and fun stuff like that. So go check that out. Uh, that is at coldstartech.com play. That's the short link to get there. Anyway, thanks for listening and I look forward to talking to you soon.